Welcome to Shred the Should podcast, where we celebrate incredible humans redefining self, success, and the word should. I'm your host, Alex Katz. I'm a coach, speaker, and shredder of shoulds on a mission to help you shred your should shame so you can live in alignment with who you want to be rather than who you think you should be. Your whole life changes when you learn to stop shoulding on yourself. So if you're ready to change your life, follow along each week to learn from expert should shredders who will teach you how to level up your life and shred the should along the way. All right, so today I'm super excited because our guest should shredder for today is an amazing human and I'm actually not going to introduce him because as you know I like to see how people define and introduce themselves so we're going to welcome Alex Weber today and Alex I would love for you to tell us who who you are however you want to answer that question I love it first off thank you for having me and uh I love that your intro shitting on yourself that's so good (laughs) so who am I uh what a what a wonderfully uh intense and beautiful and uh (laughs) So how I will answer that is I am a human who has decided uh, to live my life on this planet by what is in my heart and what is passionately fires me up in my heart. Um, And there's been times in my life when I haven't consciously known that I was doing it, like when I was a little kid and fell in love with lacrosse and then had the dream to go play in college. And then there's been times after college where I've checked in with my heart and followed it intensely and following that intensity of what was passionately in my heart led me to uh, win awards hosting with NBC. It led me to win U S lacrosse coach of the year in my first season led to competing on American Ninja warrior, speaking around the world as a keynote speaker, publishing a first book last month. Um, And all of those, why I say it like that is all of those external results, which we as a society like to highlight. It's fun. I'm proud of them. Of course, we put them on our bios or our resumes or, you know, that's our credentials. Every, and this is what's important though, every single one of those resume credentials, achievements, et cetera, began from an internal place of, I don't know why, but I need to do this. And I, I think that is a very important distinction. Yes, I love that. And I love that you highlighted that distinction. And that is the reason why I start with that question, because I think so often when we talk about shredding shoulds and we talk about mental health, right? One of mm. these, the biggest struggles I see yeah. with people and why I started this podcast is that should shame of all these things yeah. that we think we should do and be. And when you strip back those layers, right, of I'm an American Ninja Warrior, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, who really are you? So I love yeah. that you answered that question the way that you did. Yeah, thanks for that. No, I think it's a beautiful question and a beautiful way to, to start because the shoulds, uh, and you know, I'm sure we'll dive into it more, but the shoulds don't stop. Uh, right. I'm going through a should in my own life, which is uh It's not a should of, sometimes it's, we should do this, but other times it's, you shouldn't do this. And that's where Mm -hmm. I'm going through one in my own life right now of an unexpected shouldn't that, you know, and here's the honest truth though is, and I won't be cryptic about it. It's, you know, it's about my worldview and things going on in the world. And um, there's kind of a pulse in society where you shouldn't speak on things because it's controversial, because it's 
political and all that stuff is is what I think is kind of nonsense. It's just arguing. When if we go back to like our soul and humanity and people, um, we're really on the same team. So my shouldn't that I've been working through is to speak what I feel is in my heart. And for so many people, even if some people may simply shame me or judge me or criticize me for it. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's something that so many of us struggle with in, in different ways, right? Like maybe it's based on current events or maybe it's based on things we've experienced. And, and when we talk about worldview, every single thing that we've experienced shapes how we see the world and what actions we want to take. Right. Yeah. So true. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the sign behind you, which says act boldly consistently. Well, uh, I, what's the one on the other side you are, or you give, you got yeah. this, you got and this. Then I love this, it. this, this one feels relevant. This one says our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. That hits, <laughs> that hits, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all related. So, uh, I'll share this and, 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 you know, obviously I don't want to, whatever direction we want to go with any questions mm-hmm. or, or the podcast, but I, I think, you know, yeah. what that hit on for me is, uh, really college was the first time I really went against the shoulds. I played division one mm-hmm. lacrosse in the Ivy league. That was my dream. And everyone there was going into finance. That was just what you did. And that's mm-hmm. a great path. That's like an abundant. Um, so I got no shame on that. Uh, but for me, I knew deep in my heart, it wasn't right for me. And I've always kind of had this life view, which has helped of you're a creature on a floating rock in space. And that's kind of my default of entering society because then we all decide of the game of society, but it's all make-believe. It's all made up. We all made up this game. But the real truth is that you are a creature on a floating rock in space. And having that uh, perspective has led to a lot of society successes. But in college, I asked myself one night, I was a senior, I was senior fall. So I was pretty far into going into this path. I had internships. I was supposed to have job uh, interviews literally uh, the next day after what I'm about to share with you. Um, and one night, three friends and I made a campfire in Philly, just a, a dog pile, dumpster fire of a, of a campfire. And we just talked about life. And I wrote down this question of what do you want for your moments on earth? And that's something in the book that I encourage people to, to ask themselves. And it's the most honest question you can ask yourself. What do you want for your moments on earth? And I wrote down what I felt for the answer to be. The next morning, I read that and I stopped going on interviews for finance that day and started doing what I did want for my moments on earth. And even though friends didn't see it, close friends, my housemates, my teammates, even though my parents were unsure of it, even though teachers didn't see it, um, I knew it in my heart. And I, I just think that's so important because something else that I share often with audiences is that people don't see it until they see it. So just because people don't see something in you that you want to do, whether that's American Ninja Warrior or start a business or dust yourself off from a bad breakup and give love another shot, whatever it might be, just because no one else is encouraging you doesn't mean that it can't happen. Yeah, I love that. I think that we are so conditioned to look for that external validation from such a young age that we rely so much on others telling us who we should be and what we should do. And I think it's especially hard when you have these role models in your life. Maybe it's your parents, or maybe it's a mentor or a coach, right? Telling you who you should be, what you should do. Maybe they've guided you to that moment. And then there's all this extra should shame pressure of 
not wanting to let those people down, right? Or even yeah. talking about you being in college, right? I'm sure you invested a decent amount of time into that yeah. major and money and all that. So what was that process like for you of shredding that should? And what did you decide you wanted your moments on earth to be? And, and how has that changed since then? Yeah, I, 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 well, it's a great question. And it's, uh, you know, I'll start with um, how I handled it was, And I'm going through a little bit of a moment of it with now, and I'll, I'll get to that. But how I handled it was, what is really the, the option here? What is really the choice here? It's to pursue a life that I'm on the path of, even though I know it's not right for me. So I'm going to commit this human being, my human being at 22 years old. And the age doesn't matter because I don't care if you're, if, you know, my mom has started her a new life at, at, at 68 years old. So the age doesn't matter, but we're going to commit your human life to doing something. This crazy gift of life that we've all been given, we're going to just give it to something we know isn't right for us because why? Because it's going to be difficult because we're going to be judged because we're going to have to have some hard conversations because it's going to be uncomfortable. Listen, I'm a people pleaser. Part of me is I get it. And like, you know, those things can be rough, but they're short moments. They're short moments. And there's really no question. It's either committing your life to something, you know, isn't right for you because we feel like we should, or bravely pursuing a life that you feel called and intentional and purposeful and passionate about. And so for me, I, I just went back to, I'm a floating creature. I'm a floating, I'm a creature on a floating rock in space. Like, what am I going to play this safe? How safe do you really want to play this thing? So then I went all in and, you know, I will say that my parents and bless them similar to when I was in sixth grade or eighth grade or whatever it was. And I said, I was going to, I told them I was going to play division one lacrosse. I think they cited that as something that they didn't think was possible, but they saw my commitment level and what that activated in me. So I will say that to do pursue something that is in your heart and that is not as, this is really important, to pursue something that's in your heart that's not as easily shoulded, should it is easier to do. It is easier to do. There is more structures in place to do that. So if you're looking for easier or safer or more secure, that is the route. If you are looking for what, do, if you want to feel alive and full and meaningful and, and you want to pursue a life that stems from that, it is more difficult. But in deciding to go that path, you will have activated all of these incredibly wonderful qualities in you, more focus, more energy, more desire, more work ethic, more grit, more resourcefulness, because you actually give a damn about what you're doing. So even though it might not be as proven on paper, the commodity of you that's committing to it is through the roof. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's important to note. So I will, you know, I, I am grateful to my parents that when I told them, I was like, Hey, I'm not going to go into finance. I'm going to go into this. And for me at that time, this was theater and entertainment and people. I didn't know much more than that. I, and I'm thankful to them. They said, they kind of just took a breath. They said, okay, we'll just make sure you really want to do it. And what they really were saying. And they said after that was if, you know, my mom will say, if you're going to do it, do it. And my dad is just don't do anything half speed, like work your butt off. And so um, I appreciated that they never, I think they saw it in me that I was going to do this. And so they were encouraging of that. 
Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I think too, it's, it's going back to you taking the time to ask yourself those questions. Cause I think so often we've got all yeah. these voices in our heads, right. And we think it's our voice. Cause we don't even know what we actually want. And it's just this culmination of all these other voices of other people shoulds. Right. So I love that question of, okay, I'm a human, right. Is that I'm a human on a floating rock. So yeah, I mean, I you, and I and I I I say the word creature intentionally. Creature. I'm very passionate about this because we, you know, we put on clothes and we got phones and we have bank accounts and we have bills mm. and we go to meetings and we eat food with a knife and a fork and we say thank you and that's all great. Maybe you but did. You are, a, <laughs> you are a creature. Yeah. And I think at times we need to remember that we are a living creature. And we are much more similar to a lion or a horse or a butterfly or whatever the hell you want to say than we maybe choose to believe. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I like using that language because one, I think it empowers people to realize just their full force. Like you are powerful. Like you are a powerful creature. And two, it separates us and gives us perspective from, I am a professional adult seeking my career and mortgage. F that. You are a creature on a floating rock in space. What do you want to do? And if what you want to do leads you to a career and a mortgage and all of that, awesome, let's go. But if it leads you in another way, beautiful. Yes, yes, I absolutely love that. I often talk about dogs and kind of how we can think of ourselves more like dogs, but we never yeah, choose to, right? Because everyone's like, oh, dogs have the life. They always look so happy. Nothing's wrong, right? And it's like, well, I could be like that if I didn't have bills. Totally. And I'm always like, well, why can't you be like that anyway? Totally. You know, why can't you reframe what's happening in your life and find that same level of excitement as a dog? It's true. It's true. And, you know, I've thought about this as well. And like, obviously, you know, we have more awareness than a dog, but mm -hmm. what I will say, I've always been impressed on the focus level of a dog. Like mm -hmm. if you got a ball and the dog is wants that ball, that level of focus is unmatched by any other creature. So it's, yep. uh, I think there's good learning lessons, you know? Full commitment. Like anytime full commitment. my dogs want something that I have, that is the epitome of full commitment. Oh and gosh. I strive for that level. It's amazing. I totally agree. 100%. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I love uh, that. And I love the distinction there. So, okay. I'm really interested. So you had this moment in college, which mm -hmm. I think that was actually when I had my giant epiphany moment too. So I can totally relate to that yeah. happening at that point in your life. So you had this moment and then what, right? Cause at now at this point, you do have all these, these things that you're doing. What led you here? Yeah. And I, you know, one thing again in the book, so the book is fail proof and it's a six step system to become the unstoppable you. And it's, it's literally the system that I didn't know I was doing. And then these last years, I didn't know I was doing it with all these chapters that I'll explain TV hosting world record, us lacrosse coach of the year. And then I kind of realized it as I was competing on American Ninja warrior and I tested it. I was like, does this apply? And it did. And I was like, all right, the system works for everything. Um, but that question, it begins with what do you want for your moments on earth? That led me to, and then the next, you know, one of the next steps is to dive in the deep end. So, uh, you know, act boldly consistently as you have up a new wall. So that was to me moving to the heartbeat, which was LA. So I shipped out to LA, you know, a cliche maybe, and I was doing it. And here's, what's beautiful. Every couple, I would ask myself, what do I want for my moments on earth? And it would be these, and this happens to us. We ask it to ourselves and it becomes these massive pivotal 
huge life changes. Oh my God, I shouldn't be in this relationship. I shouldn't be doing this job. I shouldn't be living here. How did I become this person? Okay. But as we keep asking that question and more often, I think we should ask it every day, it becomes less scary. And so I would ask myself it every couple of years. And then I would make these big life changes. But now it's something where I genuinely ask myself it, if not every day, every week. And what is exciting is the more that we ask it, think on it with brave honesty, which I'll come back to, but bravely, honestly look at it and then answer and act upon it. When we ask it, then it just becomes these micro shifts where it's just like, I'm looking at my life right now, me, Alex, sitting here talking with you. What do I want for my moments on earth? I'm close. I'm close. I'm not all the way there, but I know that there's certain actions and refinements and leaps of faith that I can do, but I don't think I need to do big swinging moves. Maybe I do. As I say that I might still, but it's a less scary question. So for me, you know, I moved out to LA. What do I want for my moments on earth? And I started getting into acting. I didn't really love acting, but I started coaching high school lacrosse and I quickly discovered I won US lacrosse coach of the year in my first year. And I loved that version of me. A couple of years after coaching, I, I started getting into TV hosting because I asked myself, what do I want for my moments on earth? And I was like, I think I could be good at this. Fast forward. And, you know, I'm skipping over the leaps of faith and the hard work and the commitment and overcoming fears that it took. So it's not a lot of scratch off, but because I really wanted to do TV hosting, it was only a couple of years before beginning that journey to getting hired by NBC to host for American Ninja Warrior. And then I asked myself again, as I was hosting for NBC American Ninja Warrior, which was a dream, I love it so much. What do I want for my moments on earth? And I realized I missed being Coach Weber. I missed, I was doing stand-up comedy and TV hosting. And I, I, that's, that's a person. I was like, okay, I'll be like a broier Ryan Seacrest. Okay, I could do that. And then like, uh, but I missed being Coach Weber. And so I took a leap of faith and started doing public speaking, keynote speaking. Um, and then that led to being a keynote speaker. And ultimately it led again, when I asked who I want to be with my moments on earth, it led me to come back to American Ninja Warrior, not as a host, but as a competitor. And so another, you know, important thing is that, and something, again, I say in the book is you don't need to see the whole thing because you can't, you just need to take this first step and know that it will lead. And another thing that I'll share is what's empowering is the staircase isn't there. There is no staircase, but you got the hammer, you got the wood, you got the nails, build this first step and take it. And then you will be ready and you will see the next step, which you will then build. So you are building the staircase as you go. Yes. I love that. I say something very similar and I like the way that you spun it, which is that so often we are focused on that big picture and we feel like yeah. we need to see it. And we're so busy looking at the top of the staircase that we end up tripping or missing steps on the way up. And then we wonder why we didn't get there. And it's because yes. you weren't actually paying attention to what was right in front of you. Yes. And I love that you also use similar it's analogies, true. you know, and yeah, I do something similar too, where I actually set weekly or daily intentions. So you were saying, you know, it. what do I want for my moments? For me, it's intentions. And I think that can be so hard for people to do because we also grow up in the society of other people telling us not just what we should do, but, mm -hmm. you know, from such a young age, it's just, here's what you do in school. Then you go to college and you pick a major and then you do all these things and then get your job. Right. So I think being able to 
really listen to that inner voice and decide, okay, is this how I want to be spending my moments on earth? Is this working for me? And then if not trusting that, yeah, you can build that step. You don't need to know how to build an entire staircase. You just learn it step by step and you'll figure the rest out. So I, I absolutely love that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I, you know, you're bringing up, I love sports because they make things very clear. I love sports for a lot mm. of reasons, but I love the human element of sports more than even sports. I love humans doing sports. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm thinking of the analogy of there's amazing professional football players who the quarterback will throw a pass and you'll see like when they play the replay, if the person catches it, they're off to the races and you can see some of will drop it because they were mm-hmm. thinking about running, beating this tackle and running for the touchdown. I mean, Ninja Warrior, it's, it's, you know, knock on wood, it's something that we all need to be mindful of is not looking past any hand grip or footstep because that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. Or even in Ninja Warrior, right? How often do you see people at competition focusing on obstacle eight, right? Saying, oh, that's the one where I'm going to fall. So you don't even pay attention on one or two and you go out right there. You you know, I'm going to just deep dive on that for a moment because I think this is my therapy hour and cathartic. So I appreciate (laughs) it. I did a Ninja Warrior competition the other day. It was a ninja sport with uh, Ethan Swanson and Chris DeGangi. They're starting an amazing ninja Awesome. Now I came back and there's an important sub lesson here, which not a sub lesson, but I'll, I'll circle back to it. I came back from a week retreat in the jungle. It was a spiritual, mental health, emotional healing retreat in the Amazon jungle. It's freaking awesome. We'll circle back. But when I got back, there was that Ninja Warrior competition. Now I did not feel quote unquote ready. So part of my fearful voice was like, ah, don't do it. I also had a TV interview for the book right before it, uh, like a Skype interview. And so I, w- I had to get to the competition late. So I did have all of these credible excuses for not going, right? Had the retreat, uh, not in tip top shape, um, TV interview. So it wouldn't have been ridiculous for me to not go to it, but I've, I've been enough in this game of brave honesty to know that that was my fear voice talking. That was not really me. And I would have regretted it. So I went to it. And it didn't go great. But I think what's important to realize is, and this is part of, you know, again, I'm talking about the fail-proof system. It's important to understand why did the setback challenge adversity fail? Why did it not go great? And for me, I was very embarrassed. I was very humbled because there's all these great ninjas and I want them to respect me. And I know that I am a real deal ninja, but I've never really shown it in one of these competitions off of the show. I'm proud of how I've done on the show this year. But I could have done better. And anyways, and really what that is, is after we get through the emotional, which for me was frustration, humiliation, embarrassment, discouragement, which is real. We're human beings and I felt it. The next piece is, all right, why did it not go great? And so many people don't get to that step because our emotions just are too powerful that we block it out or we say, screw this, or we just keep at it, but we don't learn from it. And for me, and I think what connected the dots here was, Really physically, I was pretty ready to rock, which was exciting. Mentally, I was a dumpster fire. And more so than anything, it was my focus level of, you know, I won't, I won't deep dive on it too much more, but it was, yes, some like mental focus and preparation, definitely, but also just like Ninja Warrior is so technical where I didn't focus on like, oh, if my foot touches this or my hand touches this and Anyways, it was just a good learning lesson of how we prepare. Uh, And I'll sum it up with this because how I prepare is I'll go to Ninja Warrior gyms and I'll bust my butt giving it everything I have. 
But if my foot touches something, if my hand goes off, I'm like, it's fine. And the competition was a rude awakening of, no, it's not. There are rules and uh, you have to prepare like how you compete. So anyways, I don't know if that's, uh, I know I went on a rambling tangent, but if there's any value for people to hear about that. There is definitely value. Also definitely sums up my Ninja Warrior experience so far. So definitely relatable. But what I'll say from that, and I find myself mentioning this in every episode, but I think it's so relevant. You know, when we talk about that should shame, it comes back to us being afraid of failure, but we don't really even know what failure means. And we Mm -hmm. get to define what failure means to us. And so what I'm hearing here is you chose to build what I like to call non-judgmental awareness, right? So yeah, maybe you had these emotions and then you were able to reframe and step back and build that non-judgmental awareness of like, okay, what actually went down here? And yeah. the thing the thing that I always say is everything's just information and we get to decide love what meaning that. we make of it. So you, you took a moment there to be like, what can I learn and let me try this again rather than I failed, I suck, I'm never doing this again, right? A hundred percent. And that's so, you hit on so many important things there. Sometimes those judgments are going to come from you and we're brutal with ourselves. I think we all know that. I, I can certainly be. Other times though, and this is true, like, you know, there's going to be people who say things or, you know, and, and, and it's important to kind of be, build up your bubble of, it doesn't mean being ignorant. If someone comes up and goes, hey, uh, that sucked. Like you might want to prepare more. You might want to uh, warm up more. I remember Adam Rail, he said it with love, but he was like, you got to warm up more than you think. And uh, mm-hmm. that though, there's so much value in that. There's so much, uh, he cared and he loved me. And so he was offering me, there's going to be other people, people of competitions have come up and just, you know, said something. And in my sports background, that's pretty dismissive or hurtful. Mm-hmm. And we get to decide though, how much value we let that be in our lives. Um, and, and one more thing I'll say with it is a fail is a failure when you stop. Yep. Then it becomes a failure. If you keep going, then a fail becomes failing, which is an active verb. Failing is going, growing, learning, and embracing possibilities. So I encourage anyone, if you've hit setback resistance, you went for something and it didn't go great, if you want it, don't stop. If you stop, then yes, it's a failure. But if you keep going, you will improve, you will grow, and you will embrace embrace the possibilities. Yes. I love that. And I think part of that too, is letting go of the should of how fast you think you should be getting whatever the thing is, right? How fast should you be able to make it up the staircase or build the staircase, right? That's a good question. You bring up another important one, which is like, how long should you, let's call it dwell or fixate. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know this is a question that I'm kind of asking myself, but my answer to that would be, because I heard this guy do an interview of like, he gives himself five minutes. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment. I think there's two parts of it though. There's one, which is how quickly can you move past this emotion to get back to actually what matters? Meaning how quickly, so for me, it was like showing up to the next Ninja Warrior training. Or if I were to have another crack at the, at the, at the obstacles, go right back at it. But mm-hmm. then there's also, you know, I think about season 2021 where I made a hand placement that took me out and I knew in my heart that I was capable of hitting a buzzer. And I would have, if I, I really know that, if I had hit that, hand placement, I still think about it. I am mm-hmm. over it in the sense of I'm not letting it negatively impact me, but you kidding me? I was in the shower the other day and I'm like, why didn't I just put it here? Why <laughs> did I not just put the hand? So like, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I still, the other day was thinking about when I was a senior in high school hockey, I loved hockey. We lost in triple overtime 
I won't tell the whole story, but there's a beautiful lesson there. We lost in triple overtime. I still think about that. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think you got to be able to move past it and live your life with full commitment. But we're human beings. And if something matters to us, it's going to stick with us. Yeah. I think it's finding that balance, right. Of like doing the emotional work and the processing, but like you said, not letting that stop you. Cause often what I see as a, as a coach, right. Is people having this timeline in their heads of what their life should look like. Right. So maybe it's, you should have kids by age 30 or you should have a house or you should right? all these shoulds. And so if your reality doesn't match that picture and that timeline saying, well, I already failed may as well stop. And, you know, I love you. You mentioned your mom at the beginning right now, she's kind of going through, at a much older age in life, this transformation yeah. as well. Yep. And so I think it's, it's shredding that should of what that picture should look like and saying, if something doesn't feel right, you know, let's change it. If something didn't go the way I wanted, what can I learn and how do I keep trying? Right. And, and, and another thing is, and you hit on something good is whose opinions do you care about? Mm. You know, as I've moved into more speaking, my worldview and, and things like that, uh, which is a human focused worldview. It's not a government, it's not a corporate, it's not a, 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 a should, which like, I'm going to call it like it is, a mandate is a hyper big should. So <laughs> I'll go on the record of saying I'm against all shoulds. Mm-hmm. Um, that has received not uniform, universal support, of course, and it shouldn't. But what I found is really good friends of mine, some mentors, some colleagues have voiced it in a loving way where I hear what they're saying and it's improved my view, it's improved their view and we go together. I've also had people voice an opinion where I have to take a step back. There was someone from high school who's not even a good friend. It's a wife of a good friend of mine. And it's important to have this. And I'd love it if we got along. We've gotten along for, you know, since high school. But the way in which she approached me was not with love. It wasn't with respect. It wasn't with care. It was with a lot of attack. And so I needed to ask myself, Alex, How much do you really care about what this individual thinks about you? How much is your life really going to change? Is is there value in this? Are they coming with love? And they weren't. So then it comes to a a difficult crossroads, but a crossroads where I said to them, hey, I, I don't wish for you to be a part of my life anymore. Now, that how that looks in your life can look a lot of different ways. But I've had to do this a couple of times. One was with a good friend from high school, excuse me, college lacrosse teammate. And I basically had to say to him, because he wasn't really supportive. He was stuck in the dynamic that we were in college. And so I'd be on like an IG live and he'd be writing things in the comments. And I'm like, I finally had to just say, hey, man, like, I'm going to keep you at a big arm's length distance. Still in my life. But also, though, keeping him at that arm's length in time, I've seen he's matured and he's come back into my life in a much better way. So I just say that to people because, you know, we talk about boundaries. We talk about all this stuff. It's all well and good until it's not, until it becomes someone that's in your life, a family member, a relationship, a close friend, someone you work with. It's those tricky relationships where it's difficult to navigate it. And what I'll just say to that is to come with love, come with respect and appreciation and just say, hey, this is what I need if we're going to go forward. Yes. I love that. One of the things I love about everything you do, whether you're speaking or publishing a book or which I want to go back to the book in a second, but I love that you really do focus on being heart centered and team people, right? Because I think it's really easy to learn that. Yeah, no, of course, like we lose the the humanity sometimes, right? In this effort to 
to be right. Or, you know, when people are giving you these shoulds, it's always going to come from their own experiences, their own insecurities, their own fears. And so easy for us to internalize that as, well, I'm doing something wrong or I must not be good mm-hmm. enough. Right. A hundred percent. I will receive that. Uh, what you said, <laughs> cause it means a lot. And, um, I love what you're doing with the podcast because shoulds are dangerous. And, you know, I, I, I think one thing that I would encourage people to do, and I don't, I haven't done this officially, so it'd be a good, I've done it, but I haven't done it officially. And by official, I mean, take out a pen and paper. So I don't know how official that is, but make a list of the people whose opinions you care about. Like you really care about. I understand family and friends generically, but there's probably like two family members. Maybe there's more. There's probably like three friends. There's probably like two or three work colleagues. I'm saying that because that's kind of what it is for me of whose opinions I really care about. I really want them to to have love and admiration and support for me. Admiration, whatever that means. But I think that'd be an interesting exercise for people to do. If anything, I think it would make us realize that there's a ton of people we do not really care about their opinion. Yes, 100%. And even if you do care about their opinion, ultimately, at the end of the day, the only person who has to live with your choices is you, right? Like, I mean, maybe your, your choices do impact, right? Like your choices, depending on what they are, can impact other people. But ultimately, if you make a decision based on what somebody else tells you you should do, they don't have to live with that decision. You're the one who has to go to sleep with yourself every night. So Real that's talk, yeah. right. Yeah. And I think I see that I see clients struggling with it all the time. I see friends struggling with it. And I think, you know, you're talking about whose opinions you care about, like uh, in terms of family, I cut contact with my parents at 17. So it's been over a decade wow. since I've had that. Right. And I got so many wow. shoulds around that. So many people were like, Oh my God, you're such a horrible person. How could you do that? Right. All this, this guilt and shame around a decision that I made based on a situation that nobody had to experience except for me. So I learned very quickly to kind of cut that weight of other people's opinions and that ultimately I needed to be okay with it. I need to be able to go to sleep with myself at night and say, okay, how do I feel about who I am and recognize that nobody else is going to understand that, you know? It's, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. And it's something that I didn't really know. And I, I, I think what's important though, and I want to share this is like twofold. One, it's up to you, to the person listening. It's up to Alex and Alex here. It's up to you. And I talk about this with people in my life too. So sometimes people will confide something in me and they'll say, don't tell this to this person or whatever. Mm. And what I'll say back to that is it's yours. Right. It is not mine to share. Um, so I just encourage people listening, like, you know, in, in the bravery that Alex has shown is like, you don't owe it to anyone to share anything. You can decide what you would like to share and at what time. I have friends who've gotten out of tough engagements or have things, you know, and they're like, when do I bring it up to the new person I'm dating? And it's yours to share. Um, what I will also say, though, is like, as Alex described this, and I think this is an important lesson, as we do let people in, and even just hearing that, Alex, of what you shared, I understand more now of why you do what you do just a little bit more of an insight and your passion and the groundedness and the fire in you and your, and your purpose. So it's this beautiful balance of you don't have to tell anybody anything, but also knowing that if, and when you do tell people, 
you're creating a wonderful opportunity for them to be able to hear you and connect. Yes, I totally agree. I always say to my students, you know, it's, and my clients, it's your story and you choose what you do with it, but I just never yeah. want you to not share it out of a place of shame, right? Because that's when we really start to struggle with our mental health is when we feel like it's something where we have to hide it because something's wrong with us. And I definitely used to do that maybe like a decade ago. And then I realized, you know, well, wait a minute, this is my life. This is my story. I'm a floating creature, right? I'm a yeah, creature yeah, floating yeah, yeah. on a rock. No, like, how do I want to live? Too. Yeah. Right? Like, exactly. <laughs> So I, I love that. Um, speaking of stories, I want to go back to your book for a second, because I think it's so cool that you are now an author. Very, Appreciate very exciting. It. So question about that, because, you know, there, I know so many people who are like, I would, I would love to write a book, but I'm so scared because I'll put it out there. And then what are people going to think, right? Going back to those, those should. So what was that process like for you of publishing? This is your first, um, right? Your first book? Yeah. I mean, I, and I think, again, we all need to get specific of, because I've heard that sentiment before of, oh, I'd love to, or someday. I think we right. all need to get specific of, okay, but why is it not? Is it mm -hmm. the judgment? Is it the amount of work? Is it that we don't know what the book would be about? Is it, you know, so um, I, I think that's really important. For me, I, you know, it was a longer journey. I, I grew up uh, loving, like loving literary arts. I would mm. go to, I was in poetry contests. So I would go to, really? Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alex uh, Squared winning poetry contests. <laughs> I love it. I love it. it. You know, so I would go to hockey games and be, I was captain of the hockey team. I would do all that. And then the next morning I'd leave and I'd go to creative writing retreats. There was a creative writing retreat that we'd have every year. Uh, and I just really loved, I loved poetry. I loved short stories. Um, all of that. And I loved writing. Um, more than reading, I'll say, I loved writing. Um, and uh, I do love reading too. But uh, so fast forward, when I was coaching high school lacrosse, I, after every game, when I was the head coach, I, there was really no strong sense of community there. And I, I know, and I really wanted that. I wanted us to be like a family, the players, the parents, the coaches. I wanted us to be like a squad. So I would write these emails after every game and they weren't like, Timmy passed to Jimmy. They were like about life and about who we are and like real. And it really resonated. And some of the parents who were accomplished, it was a big high school in LA, gave me a nice pat of encouragement of saying like, you're a really good writer. I mean, writers who have written movies, you know, uh, big agents, all this stuff. So why I bring that up, it was, it was a good pat on the butt of validation, uh, figuratively, not literally, uh, of like, you know, and they were like, you should write a book. And for some reason at that time, I, I think back and I'm not sure why I didn't just do it then. <laughs> I don't know why, but I didn't. So um, fast forward, you know, all these chapters of life, I was like, I really think I would write a book. I really want to do that. And I knew I would. But then each chapter was kind of going. I, I, I set a world record and then I was TV hosting for American Ninja Warrior. And then I started playing lacrosse. I played lacrosse in 15 countries and I played in the World Cup. Team Argentina. I'm like, that'd be good for the book. And then I came back and I started competing on American Ninja Warrior. I'm like, that would be good in the book. And then I was speaking around the world. And, and so I was like, that'd be good in the book. And, and really, as I was speaking and competing on American Ninja Warrior, I was like, this feels very full. Like, I feel like I, and one beautiful thing with speaking was in order to like really do a keynote, a 60 minute or plus talk, I had really sourced my life and gone through my life into pivotal moments, the pivotal stories and scientific lessons and studies in the world. I, like I had a lot of good raw materials and uh, a friend basically gave me encouragement to put it together for a proposal. 
and she was repped by an agent. I mean, if this is an interesting story, I'll give the, the, the medium version. Uh, she was repped by a cooking food agent. So I sent my book to, which is all about self-belief and overcoming challenges and fears and failures. And she was like, yeah, I do cooking books. Like, not really sure what you, like, is there like a 45 minute recipe to, I, I was like, you know, like, all right, cool, 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 cool. So it's a pass. All right. So no, uh, but then uh, it was just there. It just existed. And I am a trusting person of, I believe that if I am true to what's in my heart and my soul, and I am to what you have act boldly consistently, and I am truly giving the best of myself to that pursuit, I knew that it would happen. I knew that it would happen when it's supposed to. So, and this is beautiful. A dad of one of the players that I coached, Bob Levitt is his name, an amazing guy. We had a really nice relationship. Every so often we'll get lunch or we'll get dinner and we'll catch up. I told him what I was up to. And he's always been a great uh, supporter of me. And he was like, I have someone I think you'd love to meet. So I have a breakfast. I had a breakfast meeting with a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud. And he is a multi-time best-selling author, New York Times, a relationship expert, psychologist, big-time speaker, more than anything, just an awesome guy, just an awesome guy. So we had breakfast, and about the first 15 minutes were businessy-esque, and then I was going through a breakup at that time, and the next 90 to two hours of our breakfast was him basically just being a great guy who happens to also be a relationship expert and best-selling author on relationships, hearing me out about my ongoing breakup and talking about it. And then he invited me back to his office and he was like, would it be cool if I just kind of like, you know, he said it in like a way of like, I, could I lecture you for a moment? Basically like this wealth of experience, could I just kind of give it to you for a moment? I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? So he did. And then we struck up a friendship. He invited me to, to meet his wife and we went to church and we went to lunch. I had Thanksgiving last Thanksgiving over at their family and got to know their daughters, Olivia and Lucy, who's a phenomenal musician and their dog Finley. And why I say all that is I was just so grateful for this relationship. And this is really important. It was never like networky. Oh my gosh. But he is a phenomenal uh, author. And he said to me, you know, like, I think you'd be good. Like, I think you should write a book. And I was like, I have a treatment. And he was like, okay, like, I'll send it to my agent. And that was ultimately the agency rep me, which sent me to a publisher who decided to publish the book. Dr. Henry Cloud wrote the forward to the book. So I say all that because it's so special to me. And it was so much deeper than... I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do all the businessy networky things that can execute this book. It was, it became, wow, I have a lifelong friend and someone who cares about me. They've welcomed me into their family. And in this journey, I've been able to publish a book as well. I love that. So shifting the focus a little bit there, right? Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. And so what fears were coming up for you as you did this? If any, um, I would say the biggest one is what if no one wants to read it? And that's an ongoing fear that I have. But I will <laughs> say like, it's been validated by um, I obsessed over the book. And I'm very proud of what I put I, I am very proud of it. And that proudness is rooted in the hundreds. I'm not uh exaggerating hundreds of hours that I poured into writing it and validated by people reaching out to me saying how the book has helped them. That is a very full circle loop for me. 
I, I think, you know, that is part of my insecurities of like wanting it to reach a lot of people. But I also know that this will be with me for a long time. And it's being, I'm, I'm so proud of it. I'm proud of it to see it at events and give it to people. And um, that was really the biggest fear. Um, a lesser fear was, oh gosh, this is going to be a pain in the butt. Cause I, you know, that's not really my highest self, but that's just me being human of like, oh gosh, I got to write 250 pages. That is a lot of time to sit down and write. Um, but I want to, I want to share two quick little anecdotes uh, on yeah. this. Cause I think they're helpful. One, and this is important one, because of how much of a behemoth it is to bite off writing a book. I, that manifested in my life of, I didn't really reach out to the publisher for a clear breakdown of a timeline. And I was basically like, well, they'll reach out to me when it's time to start writing. Fast forward a couple of weeks, I get an email from the publisher that's like, hey, Alex, just wanted to check on your first draft. As you know, it's due in two and a half weeks. So just wanted to check on it. And I write back, I go, huh, okay then. Um, the important lesson though, is because I had these insecurities of like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not good enough. I didn't want to write it. How that resulted was now I had to write a first draft of a whole book in just under three weeks. So that's important. The other part, though, was I was almost grateful for it because, because I only had three weeks rather than three months or six months. There was no time for my doubt. There was no time for my insecurities because I had to do it. And it was also kind of fun because for three weeks, I was just like, I'm good like this. I'm, I'm an athlete. I, I can get obsessive. I was like, this is my thing. So I could justify not doing other things or other pursuits or emails and productivity. I was like, I'm just going all in on this. Um, and the last piece that I'll share is because I think this is really important. I said, oh my gosh, I have to write 250 pages. People will say, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous about public speaking. How do you speak for an hour? It is only daunting. It is only imposing if we are not passionate about what we're speaking on. If you go back to, I asked myself this before, if I ever feel those doubts before I speak at a company or association or a university or a high school, whatever it may be, I ask myself, all right, what do you need to say? What do you need to say right now? What, if you had one shot for the people listening right now who I have an amazing opportunity, I get to go on stage, they're going to be here. They're going to give me their attention in this moment. What do I need to say? And if I come from that place, then we got the fire. Then you've got the hour. Then you've got the 250 pages because you are passionate. So I just ask people, if it comes to public speaking or writing, whatever it is for you, what do you need to say? What is really beating in you? What are you passionate about? And you will be amazed at how it'll start to flow. You'll hit this point and it'll just go. So that's it. I hope that that is, can be helpful as like a tactful note for people. Yeah, no, it's totally helpful. It's funny because the last thing I was going to ask you for today is what is your big piece of advice if you've got oh, one really? for, yeah, for anybody who's, you know, trying to take that leap and figure out who they want to be. And it's funny because you said, you know, what do I need to say? I do a similar thing before I get up on a stage or whatever I'm doing, right? Because also as a speaker, I do the same thing. I'm like, how do I want to show up right now? That's the question that I ask myself before I do anything. It's like, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? And I try to lead with that energy and then the rest will follow. And like you said, you know, if you're passionate, because I think so many times we are trying to fit ourselves into 
squares and bubbles yeah, and totally. things that are not meant for us, but we're told totally. that we should, right? And we, it's hard to find that fire and that passion. So I love that. I think that's super helpful. And, and the last piece, you know, that I'll say, because I mentioned it earlier, was brave honesty. And that's a, mm. a promise. I have these promises in the book that uh, I encourage people to make. Ultimately, it's your promise to make or not make. But what one of them is, is brave honesty. And what brave honesty to me is honestly looking at ourselves and our lives and what we're doing and just being bravely honest and not blocking out anything. And, and the more that we are bravely honest, it's a muscle and it'll be easier and easier to do it. So uh, that's what I would say. If you're looking at your life and who you want to be and what you want for it, just gift yourself some brave honesty. Yes. I love that. I think that is some amazing advice to leave our listeners with. And I'm not a big fan of shoulds, but I will say y'all should read this book because <laughs> it is amazing. And I'm so excited that. that you've put that out there in the world. So Thank I will you. link everything in the podcast description. So folks can find you, they can find Failproof and Rita. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing all oh, of this yeah. amazing wisdom with us. Thank you for, for asking me a part. I'm such a fan of what you're doing and uh, honored to be a part of it with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Don't forget to go shred that shed and we'll see you next time. <laughs>